Welcome to Our Village Circle, a podcast centered around authentic sharing, honest storytelling, and elevating the voices of parents and professionals alike to demystify the realities of new parenthood. We understand on a visceral level that with the joy of your new human also comes every other emotion under the sun. We want you to feel seen, heard, known, and held in this life-altering stage. We wholeheartedly believe that everyone's story has something powerful to offer others as they navigate their own journey. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Jaylee Turner, and today we'll be continuing our discussion from last week with Logan Bazan Wright, a classical singer, cycling instructor, and mom from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In today's episode, part two of our two-part series, Logan shares with us her experience of seeking help for her postpartum depression and anxiety and her climb back up from rock bottom. She reflects on what was most helpful for her, and together we discuss cultural and societal expectations around postpartum, new motherhood, and mental health. We'll get started in just a moment, but first, a brief word from our sponsor. I want to take a moment to talk to you all about one of my favorite baby products, Ergo Baby's Embrace Baby Carrier. Not only did my husband and I both use this carrier all the time with our second baby, but as a postpartum doula, there is not a single shift where I don't have it packed in my bag. We were familiar with their products before having used their 360 carrier with our oldest, and I was so excited when I heard that they had come out with a carrier specifically for newborns that merges the coziness of a traditional wrap carrier with the simplicity and comfort of a soft structured carrier. I loved using traditional wraps, but the time it took to finagle the fabric often meant that I couldn't wear my first baby quite as much. The Ergo Embrace is so incredibly easy. Simply plop the baby in, snap and go. Keep the baby close, have your hands free and know that they are snug and safe. Absolutely imperative with a toddler running around the house, let me tell you. Ergo Baby revolutionized how we carry babies back in 2002. The soft structured carrier design has become the gold standard. Ergo Baby carriers give you the freedom to enjoy life's big and small adventures all while keeping baby close. Ergo Baby carriers are ergonomically designed to cradle your baby in a natural sitting position and to evenly distribute baby's weight between your hips and shoulders. Ergo Baby Carriers are the ultimate in comfort and ergonomics, allowing you to carry your baby from those early days to toddler. Regardless of your stage of early parenthood, Ergo Baby is guaranteed to have a baby carrier that fits your needs. Use the link in our show notes to take a short quiz to find the right one for you and shop their full line of top-notch baby products. Now, back to our episode. So finally I call my OB's office one day and I tell them what's going on. And they were like, they, I don't want to say she freaked out, but she kind of did the nurse that I spoke to. She's like, well, we want you to come to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm not coming to the hospital. It's not that serious. Like I'm not in, in any inherent danger. I'm not going to hurt myself. I just had a lot of thoughts about hurting myself and wanting to die and thinking that everyone would be better off without me. 
including my daughter. And I just felt like there was no point in me living because I was useless to everybody and I couldn't even help myself. And anyway, so they tell me to come to the hospital and she literally wouldn't let me off the phone until I told her that I was coming to the hospital. And then then I told her that I could drive myself. And she was like, no, I was like, no, it's fine. I will drive myself to the hospital. And I really genuinely meant that because at this point, this was probably about three and a half, four months in. And I genuinely just, I didn't want to feel like this anymore. So I was like, fine, if you're telling me that I need to come to the hospital, I'll come to the hospital. I ended up having a friend drive me to the hospital. And I actually ended up being super annoyed because they told me to come to the women's hospital where I gave birth. So I go to the women's hospital and they talk to me and I keep telling everybody everything that's been happening and all my thoughts and all of this. And I keep going through it over and over. I had to tell like 20 million people all my intrusive thoughts. And, and then they tell me, well, we can't really do anything for you here. You need to go to Western psych. Then I'm like, okay, why the hell did they tell me to come to McGee if I should just go to Western psych in the first place? So I go to Western psych and that was wild. I had never been to a psychiatric hospital before and they take all these very extreme precautions, which in my mind, like I'm thinking, I'm not going to do anything. Like just give me my shit. <laughs> Let me take my stuff. I mean, to the point where they don't put staples on paper, you know, if wow. they hand you a packet of paper, it's like bound in some other way. So again, I go to Western Psych. I go through this whole process of telling them what's going on. They basically say, well, we can admit you to the hospital or you can enroll in a intensive outpatient therapy program. It's called the NEST program. It's specifically for women or parents like you. I think it is specifically women or female identifying patients. But I said, well, I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm not going to hurt my baby. And I would feel guilty staying at the hospital anyway and leaving my husband with her again. So I just said, I'll do this nest program, which usually it's in person and it was virtual and it was helpful to a point. And I would say in conjunction with doing the nest program, I also decided to stop breastfeeding in any capacity. So I had gone from nursing exclusively to nursing part-time to pumping, to exclusively pumping. And I decided to wean off of the pump because it was too much for me to handle. I mean, I was producing plenty of milk, which made me mad because I mean, great, I'm producing milk. But when I was trying to figure out what was going wrong or like what wasn't effectively happening and what was going wrong with nursing, they just kept blaming my supply. They're like, oh, well, you just have low supply. I was like, okay. But then I'm pumping and my tits responded beautifully. You know, except for the time when I decided I was finally going to exclusively pump, I didn't have to supplement formula except for when I was transitioning to pumping full-time. And otherwise I was able to give her exclusively breast milk for the amount of time that I decided I was going to pump, which led me to believe that maybe there really wasn't that much wrong with my supply, but that's neither here nor there at that point. You know, it was, was what it was. So yeah, I was weaning off the pump and starting to get enrolled into this nest program. And I would say 
that 70% of my getting better had to do with stopping breastfeeding. And do you think that was like circumstantial or hormonal or maybe a bit of both? Cause I'm, there's a big hormone shift that happens too, when you stop producing breast milk. I think it was both because it almost felt like a flip switch and I started to come to again. Mm-hmm. And I started to remember who the heck I was. That happened to me too. When I stopped breastfeeding my first, I felt like I had been living in this haze of confusion and self doubt. And yeah. So I guess it was just a combination of things. And, you know, I get into this program and I got put on some medication and all that helped. And I would say I didn't necessarily need a lot of the coping mechanisms and coping skills that they were teaching. I really kind of had all that. And my therapist who I'm with now, who I was with before I started the program and have continued with after the program kind of alluded to that. Like she knew that it was going to be a temporary place for me to be. It's just that I, something was awry. And then I finally like came to terms with how things were. She was going to be on formula. I was not going to nurse her. And I will say, I still get jealous when I see women who are nursing their like one-year-old babies. Mm. I'm so happy for them, but I'm also jealous. <laughs> There's space for both of those feelings, which yeah. I think we don't acknowledge in parenthood, the existence of what seem to be feelings that would be at odds with one another there's such a duality and we really have to leave space for that. I feel like parenthood in particular is one where it's just a constant state of those conflicting feelings. And uh, we're like, I love you, but you're driving me crazy. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I would say it took me about six months postpartum to get to the point where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling like I have my grounding again. Cause I had to accept a lot of things that I didn't like. Like I had to hold her for naps for months, months. I lost so much. I was, I don't want I hate to say I lost so much time because someone listening might think, oh, you didn't lose time. You have to cherish it all. But like, I'm a doer. I think you and I are similar in that way. It's very, very hard to have someone else say, no, you will not. Right, right. And I will say there were times when I enjoyed it and I was like, you know what? Thank you for telling me to slow down. She made me slow down. She made me, and I'm appreciative. I say it like she made me as if it's bad, but it wasn't. I needed it. And I think I still need it sometimes. Now that I'm getting back to myself fully, you know, I'm working again. I'm taking contracts. I'm rehearsing. I'm in school. I'm back to busy, busy Logan. And I have to remember that you have to breathe. You, you have to just take a moment and step back. And she taught me so much of that. And she taught me to, in that whole postpartum time, to just accept what you can't control. And is that when you started to feel the fog lift? Yeah. And also like, yeah, I would say between stopping breastfeeding, getting on some medication and being in the intensive therapy and just accepting reality accepting what she needed, listening to her and letting her dictate some stuff and letting go of the reins a bit and saying, I don't have control here. There is only 
so much I can do. She is helpless. She needs me. And how wonderful. It was sweet sometimes, like looking back, (laughs) you know, there was a period of time where like she needed to be napping, but she would only make it through one sleep cycle of nap. And I would go in and I'd try to get her back down. And anytime I tried to put her back down in the crib, you know, she could have been dead asleep and that child would wake right back up. I put her, set her in the crib. And so I just said, okay. And I'd pick her back up in my arms and I would like sit the little boppy lounger as a pillow under my butt. And I would just sit there until she was done napping. And sometimes that was like two hours of my day. You know, we're definitely past that point, but I would say up until like seven or eight months, I was holding that child for a lot of nap. That was my first. And, and I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I could do that. You know, some women or parents have to go back to work. They don't have that opportunity to spend their entire day responding to their kids' needs. And I think when I, you just kind of surrender, it's, it's a lot of surrendering and it, it was tough. It was really tough. And I never want to be in that mind frame again. I would say my rock bottom, which was after the point I had already been like, they said, you're going to go into this nest program. It was Thanksgiving. So God, almost, oh, wow. Sorry. Uh, it was a year ago. Yeah. Um, We're doing this interview. I think it's going to be like January or February when this episode comes out, but right now it's the week of Thanksgiving. So here we are a year later. At that time, she was not sleeping at night. She was not napping during the day and I was so sleep deprived. I, and I was just in this haze still and it was Thanksgiving day and I had just gotten her down to sleep and I was just a, a wreck and I don't know, 10 minutes go by and she was up screaming again and I lost it. I literally was in socks and a like nightgown. I ripped my car keys from off of the wall and I bolted. I left my house. I left my husband with a screaming child on Thanksgiving day. I mean, and I was in my car for eight hours. At first I sat in my car. I drove around my neighborhood because I was too nervous to leave my neighborhood because I was really down there in the depths of intrusive thoughts. So I drive around my neighborhood. I come home. I sit, I stay in my car. At some point I tried to come back in the house and she was still crying and I just couldn't do it. And so I go back out and I drove like 40 minutes up to this town, which I later found out was called Catanning. And I've been up there plenty of times after since, but there was a river. And so I drove to this river and I just pictured my car sinking below and there were other people around I guess like fishing or something and I was pissed I was mad that there were people there because I literally wanted nothing more than to just like sink my car into the water and so I mean I guess it's good that there were people there because I don't know what would have happened if no one had been there because I felt like giving up on everything but I just like sat and stared at the water and finally collected myself and drove home And Oren had done everything. Like he actually made a whole Thanksgiving dinner. And then I, of course, I lost it again because here I was incapable of doing anything. And here he was taking care of our four month old all day and making dinner. 
I was just like, well, I'm a failure. I went through that a lot when I was in the middle of my experience with my first postpartum, that feeling of inadequacy, especially if you have a fantastic partner, right? Who is able to pick up the pieces, but sometimes it just made me feel worse. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely made me feel worse because I was like, how can you do all this? What does it say about me? (laughs) I'm a failure. I'm the set the next thing. But yeah, that was like super rock bottom, but we knew that there was kind of a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of, I was going to be getting help. Yeah. And everything's been a lot, you know, once I came out of the fog and, and then practiced a lot of radical acceptance for what was right in front of me and how to deal with it. You know, I was so worried that because I couldn't nurse or breastfeed that like we would have, I would have a terrible connection with my kid and my kid loves me and I'm obsessed with her. So like, she's a little clingy, <laughs> loves mama, like Solerta sometimes will refuse or and be like, no. I only want mom. My youngest is like that total mama's boy. I'm just glad to be past all of it because it was just awful. Yeah. There's no, you know, can say, oh, make the best of a bad situation. It was just, it was just bad. Like, I don't know what I could have done differently. I try not to think about what I should have done or how I could have done it differently or anything. It just, it's just what happened. It was kind of a perfect storm between COVID, hormones, the fact that, she was quasi colicky. I hate that term because it's just basically the word for your kid cries a lot and we don't know why. We're in a better place now. And now I hope that in the future, if and when we decide to have another child, that it will not be that way because we had such a wild experience the first go around. Right. And a journey with a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, it's not linear at all. I mean, what was your official diagnosis? Generalized postpartum depression and anxiety. Definitely like super depression. I mean, I would say I did have some OCD tendencies and anxiety, but I would say my predominant debilitating factor was the depression and just like uncontrollable crying, feeling like I was in the depths of despair. And it's not like you have postpartum depression and then one day you don't, right? It's not a linear journey at all. It definitely ebbs and flows. And one thing that I don't hear talked about enough, and I think you and I have discussed this too, is what the aftermath of having a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder looks like. So what, what does that look like for you? I mean, at first, when I was finally coming out of everything, I think I've touched on it a bit. It was just so much guilt. I felt so bad. I was like, wow, I missed out on like four or five months of my kid's life. And, you know, I'm still, I still had that, like, I'm a terrible parent. I can't believe I let this happen. And yeah, a lot of that. And I had to practice a lot of acceptance and grace. I had to really try to be kind to myself which was really hard because I don't do that generally. I'm getting better. It's a process. It's a journey. But yeah, and it doesn't always go away. Like there are still times when I feel depressed, but it feels more circumstantial and not like my whole world is going to fall apart. And yeah, I don't know. What was your experience? Did you have a similar experience coming out of? Yeah, I did. 
I did. I, for a very long time, I found it really triggering if someone would talk about a positive experience in postpartum. Like now I know it, it came from a very, very deep place of grief that I had missed out on that bonding time because I was like, because I was so clouded. It's not that I wasn't there, but like, I wasn't there mentally. Oh no, you were there. You were always there. Yeah. (laughs) Right. You're like, I'm here, but I'm not, I'm a shell of who I am. Right. And it's like, I I don't remember those days as a happy time with my first. And I felt a lot of grief over that. And whenever I would hear of someone like, you know, my diagnosis was OCD and PTSD. I had a really traumatic experience in the hospital after my son was born. So when I would hear about people saying, oh, I love my experience at the hospital. Like they were great. The care I got was really good. I would find that really triggering. And I'd be like, no way you're lying. Like that's not how we, we supplemented with formula in the initial days. Then that was just how it shook out for us because of blood sugar issues. But like you, I had wanted to exclusively breastfeed and I felt like right away I had failed because I had to supplement with formula and I had a triple feed in the hospital too. So anytime I heard of someone just being like, yeah, feeding's going well, I just feed my baby every three hours and that's it. Like Uh, to me, that was offensive. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Or when I've always been on high alert, anytime I know somebody's pregnant or expecting, I'm always like. I hate to admit this. I'm kind of projecting my own experience on them, not forcing anything on them. Just saying like, I'm here for you. Like I'm on high alert in case something does not go well for somebody because I'm very concerned because of my experience that, you know, things could switch on a dime and be nothing what you had anticipated. So I'd reach out to other new moms and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, everything's, I feel so great. Or like, I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. I would find that very, I would find that very triggering as well. And that, I would say all the way until I went through a second experience that was much different. Yeah. I mean, even, even now I have some friends who recently had babies and I'll check in on them every once in a while. And, and you know, I'll be like, how are you feeling? Cause I always want to check in on them. Like I, I don't ask about the baby. <laughs> I mean, your baby's beautiful. Congratulations. How are you? And you know, when people tell me, yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> really? I was not fine. Yeah. And you know, it's not fair. Well, yeah. I felt so much grief over what I had imagined that time would be and the bond that I would feel with my baby and the joy that everyone talks about. And I remember at one point asking someone if they ever felt depressed when they had their first baby. And she just said, oh, I just felt high on life. And instead of thinking that maybe I should be seeking out help, I just was like, no, she's lying away. Right. Yeah. That's not real. I'm, I think still sometimes I'm shocked when people are like, yeah, no, it's so great. I'm so in love. I'm like, are you for real? Yeah. And it doesn't happen that <laughs> way I just every didn't... time for everyone. And especially if it happens that way on the first time, it can just feel so isolating. Yeah. And I will say it has made me very wary of having a second, you know, when we, when we first talked about our family planning and how many children do we want to have? I was very much in team bust them out, bang, 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 two under two, no problem. Now I'm like, no, 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 we're waiting. 
Right. It's affected I'm your not family ready. planning on when you will have more kids and yeah, totally. Oh yeah. Because I, I literally thought that I would be like pregnant, pregnant, just back to back. Yeah. Because I guess my idea of myself was that I was meant to be a mom, that this would be very natural for me. Even my husband has said similar things to me. Like, I just feel like you'll make such a good mom. And I'm proud of the mom that I am now, but I am not proud of what that was at the beginning because that was not my vision. That was not what I expected of myself. And I felt like I had no control over that. And that was probably the hardest part. And it kind of like just bitch slaps you guys. Oh yeah. And I will say during my second pregnancy, I found myself really surprised at how terrified I was of postpartum. Mm -hmm. Having gone through what I did the first time and struggling as much as I did, I was absolutely terrified that I would be in that same mental state again. And, you know, it affected all of the plans that I made for my second baby. Things did turn out differently for us the second time, but I remember when we had Alan home and I felt wonderful and I did feel all of those things that I imagined I would feel the first time. It was that beautiful postpartum. And then I was able to exclusively breastfeed and all of these things went the way that I wanted them to. And it almost compounded the grief that I felt Mm. over it, not going that way the first time, because now I knew that it could be different, you know? So that was my experience, like on the back end of things, but I I will say the whole time I I'm right there with you that it it affects everything with planning in the future. And I'm very familiar with those moments of just feeling triggered by other people's positive. Yeah. You're like, Oh, cool. You got to exclusively breastfeed. It's no problem. You're just whipping your tits out whenever like, congratulations. But then there is part of me that's that like is genuinely happy for those people too. I'm like, you know, that's great. Like, I'm so glad that it's working out for them, Mm -hmm. but I'm also pissed. because right (laughs) right and it took me a long time to recognize that that was coming from a place of grief I think I really was like well they're just a terrible person (laughs) for a really long time but you know perinatal mood disorders in the postpartum period we talk about how to treat them unfortunately a lot of the medical community really only cares if you're going to harm yourself or your baby Right. Yeah. And that was always the question. And I know we've discussed this, but I always hated those stupid forms at the pediatrician's office. Oh, are you on a scale of blah, blah, blah. Eventually I told them I wasn't filling them out anymore because I was doing so poorly. I had gotten involved in the therapy program and they hand me this paper at her appointment. And they said, Oh, this is the last one you're going to have to do. I said, that's okay. I won't be filling it out. I'm starting an intensive therapy program. Thanks. (laughs) You know, I actually participated in a study for ACOG to be starting an app for new parents to help alleviate perinatal mood stuff. And one of the things I said to the board of ACOG was that the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale was a load of crap and they need to stop giving it to new moms and they need to come out with a new survey because it's terrible. The scale on it is horrible. Like 
the answer options go from this never happens to this happens most of the time and there's no room for anything in between there's the no nuance are incredibly there's no vague. their questions are incredibly vague and for someone who's not a native english speaker a question like i feel like things have been getting on top of me could be very confusing yeah, and it's just ridiculous and it only it, it's and, only a screener for depression it completely right. is not inclusive of other perineal mood and anxiety disorders like anxiety ptsd ocd ocd um, psychosis any of these things which that survey would not catch no so I, I completely take issue with that survey in the first place. And then, you know, I, I had the experience too of quote unquote, failing the survey in a pediatrician's office. What did they do? Talk, they said, well, you should talk to your doctor and there's not enough um, guidance. I mean, I knew I wasn't feeling good. And I think it took a long time for me to reach out for help partially because I didn't know which doctor I was supposed to be calling. Who do you call for that? They didn't say call your OB. They didn't say call your primary care physician. They just said, reach out. Call reach someone. Out <laughs> I know. I'm like, and they don't give any resources to your spouse either. Like I said, I forget how we acquired the crisis hotline number, but you know, he's got this card, like maybe call these people, maybe call your doctor. Maybe mm-hmm. nobody knows who to, call. who am I supposed to call? Ghostbusters? And they need to talk to partners. They need to talk to partners about this and they need to empower partners to make that call too. Yeah. They need to empower partners to pick up the phone and say, my partner is not themselves. This is what I'm observing. Right. Right. Because I will say, I think Oren knew that I, I'm a kind of person. If he had done that for me, I would have lost my shit, but that's just me. That's just me. And I would have thanked him later on, but in the moment, I've been like, how dare you? Right. <laughs> because that's just, you know, miss strong-willed, independent, stubborn. I mean, I, I don't know who I would have called if I would have called anybody, if I had not been told to call people by my spouse. Right. And I did it because he told me to, not because I really wanted to for a while. I mean, eventually when I finally was like, yeah, something's really wrong. And like, I don't, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Not that I ever wanted to feel that way but I actually felt like I need to get out of this mess. And, you know, like I said, that wasn't until like three and a half, four months in. Right. And for some people it takes even longer. Oh, for sure. I mean, we, so I will say these disorders are not spoken enough about, that's not the right words. You know what I'm saying? People don't talk about and, and I can say this with great certainty because there was a wait list to get into the intensive therapy program. I had to wait because there were other people who needed help who were waiting before me. And yes, it's a small program, but that really speaks to the fact that people need help. People need to feel heard. People, and I was going to virtual mom groups and stuff before, you know, while I was having these problems. And that was helpful, like to just hear that other people were struggling or, but I never felt like people were struggling as much as I was when I was on those calls or they were, and just weren't saying it. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like new parenthood is loaded with so much fear of judgment that oftentimes it's hard to feel comfortable saying how you're really feeling. And I remember even after I had gotten help, I shared with a couple of family members that I had reached out for help for postpartum depression. And the response was kind of like, 
cricket chirps, cricket chirps, cricket chirps. I think if I did not come from a family who has history with mood disorders that I it would have had a similar response. Yeah, there's definitely still stigma around it. And I think it is our generation who's starting to speak up. A hundred percent. And, you know, I did speak about my experience a bit on my own like personal Instagram. And afterward, I had people who weren't even moms who had experienced similar feelings, thoughts, who said, I, I listened to what you were saying. And I, I was so grateful that it's not just me who can experience these sort of things. So I implore people to talk and to get it out there. And and know it can be so scary because you feel like you're going to be judged. I felt that way. I felt like I was a failure. I felt like I was doing everything wrong. And if I needed help, then, then something was wrong with me. It's not the case. They say it takes a village for a reason because you need, you can't do it by yourself. You just cannot. Like, I know it's cliche, but it's so true. We are not meant to do this alone. We were not built that way. It is society that has created this idea of the nuclear family. And American society in particular, I think. In particular, yes, a hundred percent that, you know, we can do it all, be it all, have it all on our own, completely independent of anybody else. And that is just not the case. Right. That is and just there's a, a, like a, a negative connotation with interdependence. Right. That like, if you need somebody, then like. Particularly <laughs> parenthood, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I just implore people to talk. It can be so scary and so hard, but it was not until I talked to people. And it took me a lot of talking to people because some people just were like, I don't know what to do. I'm really sorry that you're going through that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. What resources and nuggets of wisdom did you find most helpful for you during that time? I would say if you don't know where to start, just pick up the phone. I started by calling crisis hotline. Sometimes these people don't even necessarily know how to deal with parents. It's just, they know how to, uh, this person literally just helped me breathe because I was having an anxiety attack and could not stop crying. So, you know, a crisis hotline, call your doctor. If you just don't know, just pick up the phone. The virtual mom group that I found was really helpful. And I've created some, what I feel are lasting mom friendships through it. And it's really important to have parent friends. It is vital because you will otherwise feel so alone. But yeah, I would say otherwise, you know, try to, this sounds so stupid and I'm going to like punch myself when I hear when it comes out of my mouth, but like you find something that's for you. That, that's like 10, 10 minutes of your day. Yeah. If fitness is really important to you, 10 minutes of stretching. It's, start small. I think the thing for me was like starting small. It didn't, you know, I wanted to run a marathon in those beginning stages and really my body couldn't do that, you know? So it was just taking and appreciating the moments that I could have to myself that were for me. That's true. Um, Sometimes I feel like there's this idea that it's, unless I got like a full hour, then it was trash. I didn't get my 45 minutes on the bike. I ended up getting an at-home bike and 
even if I could only get 20 minutes on the bike, it was a win. And then some days your kid takes a two hour nap and you can conquer the world, you know, but for me on the whole, it was practicing a lot of radical acceptance and just being at peace with the present and not worrying so much about my laundry list of things that I hadn't gotten done. And you know, my therapist likes to say, Logan, you could have a list of 10 things and maybe you have a really good day and you check off eight of those things, but you are still sitting there beating yourself up over the two things that you didn't get done. It's me. <laughs> right. But guess what? You got eight out of 10 things done. That's really, really good. You know, and so I have to talk to myself a lot and in terms of lessening the negative self-talk and and forcing myself in a way, and my therapist has helped me with this, but patting myself on the back, acknowledging my accomplishments and guess what? Small things can be accomplishments too. Yeah. You don't have to run the marathon, you know? And it's just, I would say that just practicing. It's a practice of thought. I hate to say switching your mindset because I could go on a, that's a whole nother podcast, but, and you know where I would be going with that, but it is a shift in perspective, yeah. a shift and in perspective. And it's something that takes time. It's not something that just happens. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and like, like you said about, uh, you know, dis- mood disorders and stuff, it's not linear. It's not like you just get better and better at it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you could be doing really well one day with it or have a great week even. And then the following week you are back in your hole for, you know, a hot minute. And I think learning not to beat yourself up over that, over the nonlinear aspect of it uh, is really important too. Absolutely. Do you have any other resources that you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah. So the group, is it's based in Pittsburgh, but they do offer still a lot of virtual um, meetups. It's called Empowering Moms. It's run by this really, really wonderful woman who just truly wants to empower moms. I mean, her mission is right in, it's in the name. And I, I really found some of my closest mom friends through that group. And I would say that was one of the, my like saving graces throughout early postpartum empowering moms. Otherwise I just find, I just find people on Instagram that jive with my line of parenting thought. And also there's not one way to do it. So find what jives with you. On that note, I'll tell listeners too. It's okay to hit the unfollow button. constantly making you feel inadequate. It's okay to hit unfollow. A hundred percent. I had to unfollow some. (laughs) And lastly, where can listeners find you? I'm on Instagram at Logs, L-O-G-H-Z. You can find, I I am a classically trained opera singer. So if you wanted to reach out on my website, it's loganbazan.com. Otherwise, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Not many people with the name Logan, L-O-G-H-A. Girl named Logan. (laughs) Yeah, girl, girl Logan. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on today and being so open and sharing your experience. I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to identify with parts of your story. So I appreciate you being willing to share. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks again to Logan for joining us today. You can find all of the resources that she mentioned and information about her Instagram and website in our show notes. Join us next time as we meet Emily Geller, an opera singer based in Westchester, New York, and mom of two. You may recognize her name from Inside Edition, The Today Show, People Magazine, and a whole host of birth podcasts this past summer when the news became viral of her daughter's birth in their car on the highway in New Jersey after a two and a half hour precipitous yet calm and empowering labor. On this episode, she'll sit down and chat with us about how the birth of her first baby, a planned cesarean due to lack of access to a provider who was comfortable with vaginal breach, drove her to pursue and prepare for her VBAC vaginal birth after cesarean. She talks us through her birth story and what the aftermath of that experience was like for her with it becoming so public. If you like what you hear, feel free to follow, like, and share this podcast with anyone you feel may benefit. We have a great community on Instagram and Facebook at Our Village Circle, and our website is www.ourvillagecircle.com. Until next time. Bye-bye.